Life is better together. Life is better together. Let me describe a person for you. Maybe this is somebody that you know. This might even be you, but this is a real person. And let me tell you, it does not often end well for these type of people. Let me describe it to you like this. This man believes in the value of hard work and the inherent dignity of a job well done. He's probably married, has at least two kids, and whose pictures are in his wallet, and he's got hundreds more on his smartphone. He loves his wife and thinks of her far more often than she even realizes. It's true that he works very long hours. He's often gone by 6 a.m. in the morning and returns maybe after 7 at night, and the pressures at work are enormous for him. It wears him out, so much so that when he comes home, he doesn't like to talk too much. He's just too worn out for that. As a matter of fact, uh, he's so tired that it's all he can do to read a little bit of the paper, eat a meal, watch a little bit of television, and go wearily back to bed again. His blood pressure is too high. He knows he needs exercise. He knows that his diet is not the best. And he also knows that sometimes he is irritable with the kids. He gets loud with them occasionally, but he later regrets it. And it's true that he does work about 70 hours a week, every single week, but he doesn't think of himself as a workaholic. Maybe you know somebody like this, but he doesn't think of himself as a workaholic. He simply loves his job. It gives him great satisfaction, and he's good at his job. And he's grateful that he's able to provide a living for himself and for his family to have nice things for them. One day, one day, he says, one of these days, He's going to plan to slow down and smell the coffee, as they say, but not today. Today, he's just going to gulp his coffee down and head out the door long before his family knows he's even gone for another day at work. But then one evening comes, and he returns home, and his family isn't there. They're gone. They're gone. While he was at work, his kids grew up. While he was at work, his wife went back to college and found a career for herself, a new career. His children moved out, and and now the house is empty, and he can't believe it. And he can't believe another thing, because at this stage, at this time in his life, his company just made him CEO of the company, and he comes home to a house where there is no one really to share it with. He's made it to the top, but he's all alone. Know anybody like that? Do you see maybe yourself heading in that direction? Even if you're not like some successful, high-powered CEO type person, uh, maybe you just work the line or maybe, you know, you sell real estate or sell cars or, or wrench, uh, wrench for a living. It really doesn't matter because maybe you see yourself a little bit like this. It's just so easy, isn't it? to be consumed with our work. We, we all tend to suffer from this hurry-up syndrome of life. Almost every single one of us in this room would say, life has just passed me by so quick and I don't even know how it happened. Am I right? Am I right? Most of us wake up one day and we do go, where are the kids? Where's my life? Where's my soul? Where is it gone? We're so busy and we don't even realize the significance of the people who are right in our lives, right in front of us. Listen to this observation that King Solomon made in the Bible book of Ecclesiastes some 3,000 years ago. Chapter chapter, um, four, starting in verse seven, it says this. 
I have observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Listen to this. He says, this is the case of a man who is all, what's this word? Alone. This is the case of a man who's all alone, without a child or brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? And why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and, what's this word? Depressing. (laughs) Don't you tell me that the Bible is irrelevant. This is totally relevant to our lives, isn't it? You've seen this, haven't you? Somebody who's wildly successful, somebody who has all of the toys, the big houses, the big cars, the, 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 the fancy trucks, the, the, the dirt bikes and the motor scooters, and they got the, the boats and the, and the ski-doos. They, they have it all, only to have it all at the top end up being divided up by the lawyers. They've amassed huge fortunes in their life, only to have the lawyers take most of it in the end, right? You've seen this, haven't you? Where the kids are, are bitter and distant, where the kids are broken. They've witnessed 10 years of mom and dad being together, but they weren't really together. There was no family, really. They've grown up with name brand everything in their life, except they didn't have the family name branded on their soul. They had all kinds of good things, but they didn't have the right things built into their life. And so they're angry and they're searching and they're disappointed. Anybody ever see any adult children like that? Come on. This is true of our, of our culture. This is true of our lives. If, if you're just joining with us uh, today, um, I know it's kind of a depressing way to start off, isn't it? But the, we've been in this series called Old School, and it's a journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible, and we began uh, a long time ago in the book of Genesis, and we started right at the beginning, and we're, we're just kind of working our way through and trying to find the story of God and, and, and what it means to us and how we see ourselves in this story, in, in the ongoing story of God. And, and now we're in this series called the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and, and it's written by a man named Solomon. And we've been talking about his life and how early on in his life, this man was wildly, and I mean wildly successful in every single way he had everything except the ability to keep his life together. He could rule the world, but he couldn't rule his own soul. He could rule everybody, but he couldn't keep his own family together. And at the end of it all, he looks back and says, I screwed up in so, so many ways. And now he's reflecting in his old age. He's wishing that he had done it differently. He's wishing that he could have started over and done it differently. Anybody ever get there in life where you just wish you could start over and do it different? Come on. Solomon's saying, don't end up like me. Don't end up where I've ended up. And he's looking back, and he's all alone, and he's at the top. And sometimes you and I, we we start to think that, well, wouldn't we like to be the guy at the top? And Solomon's saying, it's often not so good up at the top, right? Friends, let let me explain it this way. And we're going to dive deep and we're going to peel back some layers of our life today because there is an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. There, there really is, friends. There's an epidemic of loneliness in our world, and we don't want to talk about it. Uh, we don't want to talk about this thing called loneliness. Mother Teresa once said it like this. Do you remember who Mother Teresa was? Incredible woman. Just an incredible woman. Woman, so insightful, so wise. And she said this. She said that loneliness is the leprosy of modern man. 
Loneliness is the leprosy of a modern world. And, and, and she went on to describe how people can live in these huge housing developments with hundreds and hundreds of people, but they can't even know their neighbor right next door to them. They can't know the people right on top of them or below them. We guard our safety, she says. Be, or she says we guard our, our privacy because she thinks, uh, because we think it keeps us safe. Um, we're friendly people, right? Most people are friendly people. But if we were honest, most of us have very small, small circles of friendship. Our our circles of friends have gotten smaller as we've gotten older. And we excuse this because as we get older, we think, well, it's the fast pace of my life. I mean, I got so many things going on. I work and I got my kids and we got 14 different sport programs we're in. We got church stuff and we got stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff. And so at the end of the day, very few of us, if we are honest, have real friendships in our life. People that we can do life with. Even people who are married. Even people who have a family. There's this epidemic of loneliness going on. Mother Teresa went on to say this, that the feeling of being unwanted or alone is the most terrible form of poverty that humanity knows. Let me me read that again to you. She says, the feeling of being unwanted or alone is the most terrible form of poverty that the world knows. And she put into words what 40% of Americans claimed on a a huge survey done back in 2010. Back in 2010, there was a survey where 40%, listen to this, 40% of adults said that they often, they often feel alone or lonely. And what was interesting, when the survey numbers were peeled back, it it concluded that whether you were married or unmarried people, divorced people, uh, people with kids or no kids, black people, white people, rich people, poor people, educated, uneducated people, it was about the same. 40% of every class of people, every way you can divide up humanity, roughly 40% claim that they battled regularly with loneliness or feeling alone. Now, way back in 1980, they did the exact same study, the exact same survey with the exact same amount of people. Yet only 20%, back in 1980, felt that they were alone or struggled with these feelings of connectedness and loneliness. You see, our culture seems to have this increasing, uh, this increasing isolation, this increasing uh, uh, anonymity, uh, this sinking feeling of being unloved and being unknown. And oftentimes, we... we, we we say that these symptoms work themselves out like in anxiety or depression because, listen, uh, one psychologist said it this way. I love what, he, uh, what she said. She says, loneliness, loneliness seems to touch all people. She says, loneliness seems to touch all people. Oftentimes, the symptoms can be seen as anxiety or depression or anger, but as it narrows down to the core issue, it usually centers around the pain of not being connected relationally with people. And, and that seems crazy in our world because we're more connected than ever, right? They can get a hold of you 42 different ways. Am I right? You got Facebook, you got Twitter, you got what, Instagram, you got Periscope now, you got blogs, what else you got? You got Snapchat and it's, you got this LinkedIn thing. This LinkedIn thing drives me crazy. Don't ever send me a LinkedIn request. I get 10 a day. I don't know how I signed up. I don't know how they got my name. I have no idea. I don't want to know. I don't care about LinkedIn. Don't send it. It drives me crazy. But don't worry, I'm in counseling for it. It's all good. Okay, I'm okay with that. Um, but, but it's true, though. You know, we have all these ways of being connected digitally, and yet, listen, and yet, it seems like the charts are inverse, right? We have a growing segment of our population that says they feel alone, isolated, and yet, we are more digitally connected than any other time in human history. It doesn't make sense, does it? 
One of my favorite writers is a guy named John Orberg. I often quote his stuff because he's just so doggone good. And in one of his books, he says this, although loneliness is something that the vast majority of people wrestle with, he says, although loneliness is uh, something that the vast majority of people wrestle with, hardly anyone wants to openly address it or admit it. He says, people will readily acknowledge being too busy because that makes them sound important, he says. But to say I'm lonely, he says, but to say I'm lonely is kind of like saying I'm a loser, right? And nobody, he writes, is going to like a loser. Now, we're going to get back to Solomon in a minute because he has so much to say about this. He ends up saying together is better. Solomon's going to teach us something tonight. He's going to say, listen, friends, he's going to say together is better, It is better being together. He's going to say that at the end of it all, as a man who is alone at the top, he says it's always better to figure out a way to do life together with other people. Um, But I want you to think about for a moment the culture that we live in. We hardly know what it means to have a soul connected deeply with God and deeply with other people. It's true. We, We suffer so deeply from this thing called hurry. We suffer so deeply from this syndrome of busyness in our life You see, connectedness, we've talked about this many times in our church, this idea of connectedness with God and with other people, it suffers at the hands of busyness and it suffers in our pursuit of wealth and status in this world. And I want you to think deeply about the issues that are going on here. What used to give people, think about how our world has changed in the last 10, 20 years. What used to give people this sense of connectedness, this sense of belonging, this sense of community is radically changed, right? It's disappearing. And it seems like we're searching for new ways of staying connected. It seems like there's a new network out there forming every couple months, isn't it? And we all got to jump on the new bandwagon. Otherwise, the world is going to leave you behind, right? But it doesn't seem Like these new ways of connectedness is really satisfying the soul of man, does it? There's something missing in us still. Again, John Orberg in one of his books called Soul Keeping, it's a great book, he he says this, he says, people are much more transient and mobile now, so they move more often and thus the sense of neighborhood is gone from our lives. Anybody feel that? Is it different than when you were a kid? Come on. Radically different than we were kids. Family strength, he says, is much weaker than it used to be, and divorce rates are much, much higher. Beyond that, a sense of belonging to a clan, such as children living in close proximity to their parents and grandparents, has also lessened in our world. It is completely normal in our world to have part-time parents, part-time grandparents, and part-time homes. Now, friends, I say that not to, not to condemn anybody or beat anybody up. I'm just stating the obvious there, right? And all of this seems to contribute to this idea of a lack of connectedness, feeling like we don't belong anywhere in life. All of this fights community. And as a result, we have this epidemic of loneliness that pervades itself all the way through our culture. And we're going to see in a moment that Solomon is going to tell us, you got to figure out how to do life together because together, he says, is better. Now, it's interesting. You know, they always say that Um, that the Bible is way behind and Christians are way behind in the world of science. But it's funny because science is just now catching up to what the Bible has taught us for 3,000 years. Because Solomon's been saying for 3,000 years, together 
is better, but science has recently proved this. Let me share this with you. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships called the Alameda County Study was headed by Harvard University, uh, where they tracked, get this, 7,000 individuals for a total of nine years to talk of, or to learn about their value systems and to learn about how they connect with other people. And it was really, really interesting. These researchers uh, concluded that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die early than those who had strong relational ties in their life. Now listen to what they go on to say. This will blow your mind. People who had, quote, bad health habits, such as smoking, they did 7,000 people over a nine-year study. That's a big study. They said people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol use, but had strong social and relational ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. Now some of you men are going, see, honey? I'm fine. In other words... In other words, they conclude that to eat Twinkies with a good friend is better than eating broccoli all alone. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. As a matter of fact, the lead researcher, his name was Robert Putnam, he he says this, quote, "That, that if you do not belong to a group now, but you join a group, you cut your risk in half of dying in just the next year alone. That's amazing to me. What are they saying? They're saying what Solomon said 3,000 years ago. It's better together every single time. Another study, this blew my mind, as reported in the Journal of American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produced the common cold. Now, pause. I have no idea why anybody would want to be injected with somebody else's snot. I have no idea. But apparently, they do. And so... uh, but they found some incredible things with this, right? They, they found that people with strong emotional and relational connections, listen, did four times better, four times better in fighting off illness than those who live more isolated lifestyles. Relationally connected people, they said, were less susceptible to colds, had less viruses, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally connected Subjects. Now, I'm not making this up. They, they produce less mucus. So this, if this study is true, it literally means that unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> it's true. Oh, wow. I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure who said this originally, but there is a quote that has stuck with me for a long, long time. Um, I just want you to read it. Read this quote to yourself. Just read that. Read that. Let me, let me read it for you. With billions of people on earth, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. True? With, with billions of people on earth, shouldn't somebody in some way figure out a way that we can just get connected with other people? where we can find some sort of soul connection, some sort of satisfaction in life. Solomon says that this is the case with the man who is alone. He says it's meaningless and it's depressing. Amen? Have you been there? He says it's meaningless and depressing at the end of the day and nearly every single one of us, if we were to have a show of honesty in this room, every single one of us, nearly every one of us, would say, yep, I'll admit it. There have been times in my life where I felt alone, 
where I felt isolated, where I felt no one cared, where I felt unknown. And it was depressing. It was meaningless. And there are times that many of us felt like life wasn't even worth living because of it. Friends, this is a real issue. We know what it means to feel this way, to think this way. To, to say, what's it all for? It's all meaningless at the end of the day anyways. We understand this. So Solomon starts to tell us what he's learned about life, and he starts to pour wisdom into us. And he says, I've been there. I know what it's like to be alone. I'm at the top of the game, and I'm alone. Now, at this point, Solomon has lost his family. He retained his power in the kingdom, but he lost the respect of his people. And at this point in his life, he had lost his relationship with God. And it had cut him so deep in his life. He was alone. And he was feeling the depression of that. He was feeling the anxiety of that. He was feeling that it was all meaningless. And so Solomon's going to come along on the hindsight of this, on the backside of this. And he's going to say, listen to me, people. I still have wisdom that is from God. Even though I didn't live it out, even though I didn't act right. I've learned some things. And he says that it is better together. Look, look at verse 9. We're going to just kind of pick it up right there. Verse 9. And you, if you're the note-taking uh, type of person, you may want to write this down, that, that Solomon is going to teach us in just four little verses that relationships matter, matter, matter. And it's very important that we somehow find this thing called friendship in our world. That somehow we make this happen. That we choose relationship over success. Listen to me, friends. That we choose relationship over prestige. That we choose relationship over money. He says relationships are going to matter most to us. That's what's going to fill our soul as we chase everything else in life. So here's what he says. Look at verse 9. You ready for this? He says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed, right? He starts to lift, list off these ways why together is better, and, and he gives us these benefits of friendship, and you may want to write this one down. He, he says that, that friends help with success. Friends bring about good results. Friends double up on our work. Wise people know when to get help from somebody, right? It's when we're dumb and we say, I can do it, honey, and then something bad happens, right? I got it by myself. Um, in my world, where I, where I work, I'm a contractor, I'm a building contractor, and uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just me, or maybe it's the principles of Scripture at work, but I find that it's always more productive to get somebody to help. Even if the job, I can do it alone, even if it's a job that I've done a hundred times alone, it's always better to do it together. It's like two men, anybody ever decided this for themselves? It's like two people can produce three people's work. Because there's a certain synergy, there's a certain power. Listen, when, when two human souls start putting their effort towards something, you think about how this even works in marriage. If we get this right in our marriages, listen, how two souls come together, how, how the human creativity, the human effort, the human passions, the synergy of all that comes together, it just produces more in life than somebody alone. We're always, listen friends, we're always better together. There's a bond that takes place when people serve together, when they work together, when they play together. Life is better together, he says. Sherlock Holmes, right? He needed Watson. Batman needed Robin. Lone Ranger, Ranger needed. And Dumb needed Dumber. 
Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But Solomon's saying we're better together. Dumb is better with dumber. It's true. He says we're just better together. Listen to this, verse 10. He goes on and says it this way. He says, if one person falls, this is so beautiful. He says, if one person falls, the other can reach out to help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble, right? Friends pick one another up in times of trouble. It's like Solomon is saying, friends help us to stand in life. Friends help us stand. You see, America is, is the land of the lonely. We've cultivated this from the very beginning. We say that we're independent, right? That you can do it. You're an American. And I believe all those things to some degree. Because God's wired us different than that as well. He's wired us to do it together, right? But that only goes so far, this being alone. Anybody see the TV commercials uh, that go, help, I've fallen and I can't? Oh my goodness, they're so popular. Listen, they got this lady and she's on the ground. She's like a perfect looking old woman. And she's like, ah, ah. And she's got her legs up like this. And she's like, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And it's true. Because sometimes you do fall and you can't get up, right? And Solomon is saying, has nothing to do with even the physical falling in life because there will be times that you simply need somebody else. And I think all of us get that, right? We, we just need somebody else. We need a hand to lift, a hand to pull, a hand to push. We get all that. But friends, do you realize that we are wired for help spiritually, emotionally? There are gonna be times that your friend will help you to move forward. Your, your friend will help you to take your next step. It'll hold you accountable to rise to levels of greatness in your life that will push you forward. Listen, when we isolate ourselves, we lose the benefit of having someone move us where we can't get on our own. We have friends, they say, keep going. They, we have friends, they say, don't you dare give in. They say, they say, don't you dare give up. You've come too far to go back now. He said, they say to us, move forward. Take your next steps. Don't be afraid. Check out verse 11 because he's not done with this. He says, there's more to this. He says, likewise, two people are lying close together. They can keep each other warm. But, but, but how, can you, how can one be warm alone? He's saying friends warm each other in this world. Friends help us. You could write this down. You could say friends help us more than just survive. They help us to thrive in this world. Does anybody, uh, any married people in the house here? Any married people? Does your spouse have cold feet? <sighs> this is a big issue in my home. I don't know what's wrong with Lynette. I don't, I don't. But, but she, her, she is always cold. It can be 90 degrees out and she's got icicle feet. I don't care what it is. It's like she's got polar feet. And, but because, listen, but because I'm a godly, loving, protective husband, with sheer, unconditional, agape-level, God-level type of love toward her, I let her warm her feet on me. No, I don't, actually. (laughs) This has been a source of contention in our marriage for 26 years. Seriously. Um, Not good, right? Um, I could just let her turn the heat up in the house, but that would be crazy, right? However, uh, in Solomon's time, they couldn't just flip the switch for the heat, right? Now think about what was going on here. What was he saying to us? Solomon's time, cold was much more serious issue than it is today. Uh, When forced to sleep out in the open or under tents or out in the field, um, two bodies huddled together stay warm. Two bodies can survive. 
Two bodies can come together and a whole group of people huddled together in a tent can produce some heat, right? And so Solomon says, two are better at staying warm than just one. Ever, ever done this before? Like you got like a fire going, right? And you got two coals or two pieces of wood and they're burning, they're flaming, right? They're like, this is, it's, it's working, right? You ever separated two burning logs? It's a very weird thing. Together, they blaze. But you pull two logs apart, and I can't even understand. I've tried to figure out why do they die. But they do. Every single time you take one coal out of the fire, that coal dies. But you put it back in the fire, what does it do? It, it burns brightly. And friends, listen, this is so important. This is why we need each other. We need each other not only to survive, but we need each other to thrive. I want you to think about what he's saying to us, that we need each other to keep the fire blazing in our soul. Listen, this is why church life is so important. We can come together and we can, and we can create a bonfire in our spirits by worshiping together and serving together and giving together and, and praying together and caring together and studying together. We, we grow a fire in our heart that we cannot do on our own. People go, well, Jay, you don't have to be uh, like a churchgoer to be a Christian. And I say, good luck. Good luck. Because every single time that I have ever seen anybody step outside of the body of Christ, it's like chopping off your arm. How long is that arm going to live on its own? It ain't. This is why we need each other. Because it sets a fire in our soul that we cannot set in ourselves. We burn brightest when we're together, amen? When we work on this, when we grow this together. Check this out. He's got, just look how he ends this thing, it's amazing. Verse 12, he says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and they can conquer. They're, they're, uh, three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Friends hold each other up, and they do more than that. They, they hold each other up in the face of adversity. When there's pressure in life, friends help us through the struggle of life, amen? Anybody ever had to lean on a friend during a deep time of struggle? Come on. There's just something powerful that happens. We need each other to give strength in the midst of persecution and, and, and hardship. A cord of three strands does not come apart easily. It's not torn apart evil easily. There's strength in numbers. And, and friends, listen, um, I don't care how tough and how big and how bad and how smart and how rich and how successful you are. There will come a time when life breaks for you. Period. Period. It's coming to every single one of us. And the scripture is so clear that if you want to follow God, that it's always better together. Friendship allows us to struggle together. And that in the end, we come out much, much better. This will blow your mind. Think about how this works with being together. Um, this, this idea of depression is a real deal. I did some research on this. It, it, depression is now 10 times as prevalent as it was in 1960. This means that 10 times the amount of people are being, being officially treated for some sort of depression in terms of percentage of the population as was in 1960. It's taken a toll. This, this idea of loneliness, this idea of struggle takes a toll on people. And get, get this, and it strikes at a much earlier age today. The mean age of, a, of people uh, with their first episode of depression 40 years ago was 29 and a half. In 2010, the first age of treatment for depression nationally was 15. 
was the age of 15. There is a struggle in life. We are not built to be alone. And all of this digital connectedness, we think it's connecting us. I would humbly submit to you that it is having the reverse effect on us. It is isolating us from our kids. You ever been on a joy ride across the country with your kids? It's great, Mom. I see that, Dad. We've lost the sense of togetherness. And friends, we've got to somehow reclaim this. Again, this is why the involvement in the local church, I think, is just so important. You have, you have to have people in your life. You have to be connected with souls that they have the same abiding faith in Christ that are moving in the same direction as you. It's always better to do life with God together with other people who are set, heading in the same direction. And, and so let's go back to that little quote that, that I remember from earlier. It says, with billions of people who share this earth, shouldn't somebody figure out a way to heal the loneliness, to take it away, to connect people, to help them to stand together? Friends, I don't think anybody can come up with a system to get everybody connected. But we are a church. Here at Metro, we're we're a church. We're one body. And we need to figure out a way to get everybody connected. And I have some ideas that I think could help us. I have some ideas that will move us forward with this idea of better is, together is better. I, I really think that this is God's will for our lives, that this is his call for every single one of us, that we are better together every single time. And so I want us to take some steps forward in, in our church here. Um, I came across this little book, and it was a very odd book. It's, it's called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. It's incredible, though. Um, I couldn't care less about bowling. I hate that thing, okay? I hate bowling, okay? But, but the thoughts behind this book, it blew my mind about the value of community life. It was incredible. Um, Robert Putnam is this researcher, and he, and he writes this. Listen to this. Um, he, he quotes this. Something important happened in the social bonds and civic engagements in America over the last 50 years. He says, during the first two-thirds of the 20th century, Americans took a much more active role in the social and political life of their communities, inside of their churches, social clubs, at the card tables, and at the dinner tables. He, he goes on to show all of these data, all this, all this graph, all this research that showed just how involved in community life like people were from 1960 and prior. But things started radically changing at the onset of the television. When it came into vogue to have one in every living room and then in every room, it suddenly changed all of life because he goes on to say that in every, listen to this, in every measurable way since the 1960s, Americans do less together in terms of percentage of the population than any time in our history. And this is incredible. Um, he has all this data, data to show that people in terms of percentage of their of population, they're less engaged in community, community life. He, he says things like, at one point, in the height of the 1960s, that the PTA, Parent Teacher Association Group, over 50 to 60% of all parents were regularly in attendance at PTA meetings. Now, it's fractional. 
Now it's fractional. He goes on to say that uh, people played sports together in far greater numbers. He said that people joined service clubs in far greater numbers in terms of percentage of the population. People played cards together in long, around neighborhood homes in far greater numbers. And listen, people went to church together in far greater numbers. And this is so weird. This is why he named the book Bowling Together. He, he, he did the research and he said, at the height of the bowling uh, phase or craze in America, it was the middle of the 1960s. A full, get this, 9% of all Americans were on a bowling league. How many today are on a bowling league? Almost nobody. She is great. One holdout, right? But it's crazy. 9% of all Americans doing the same thing. You'll never see that again ever, right? You just won't. So friends, I don't think that we can connect the whole world, but I do think we gotta figure out a way to connect us here. And I got some things I want us to try as a whole church. And it's something that's not new at all in the life of our church. Oh, what's Jay gonna say now? Because it's like crazy, we're already so busy. I want us to do something that we've been trying for 10 years around here. I want every single person in this room to try a life group together. We have these little groups. We just simply call them life groups where there are six to, or maybe eight to 12, eight to 14 adults that kind of are in the same demographic, the same stage of life, the same kind of trajectory of life. And we put these little groups together and it's centered around Christ, it's centered around the Christian faith, but it's all about just developing Christ-centered friendships. It's just that simple. You you see, friends, we, we have to figure this out because we were made. The reason that life together is so important is that God made us that way. It's because God created us for a relationship. I don't know if you even realize this, but do you realize that in the book of Genesis, the very first time that God ever said anything was not good in the whole world was when he saw that man was alone. He says, I didn't create you to be like this. We gotta figure out a way to get you connected. You see, friends, God's always been connected. He's always lived in community with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and me, we've got to figure out a way to do life with God together in our little church here. The best way that we can figure it is this idea of a life group. We want you to try a life group. We want you to say, listen, I'm willing to take a risk. We, most of our groups meet every couple weeks. And honestly, we say, we know that you're not going to connect with everybody. We understand that. You might try a group and you think these people are weird. That's okay. We say, try another group. And then if those people are weird, we say, try another group. And if those people are weird, we say, try another group. And after four or five groups, it's probably you who's weird, right? (laughs) But listen, we're not into trying to cattle you into one box. We want you to find a group of people that just fire you up in life. We want you to find a group of people who have the same heart for God, who want to grow their faith and take next steps. And so when when our next step groups are done at the end of October, we're going to have a whole new push. And And I want you, I'm asking you to pray about this, to think about this, to be open to this next step of joining a life group, to do life with God together as a church. We got to figure this out. No one should stand alone. Amen? So, Father, we come before you and uh, we, we look to your word for wisdom. And I know that um, 
people out in the world all the time are saying it's just a book, it's just a story, it's not real. There's no truth in it. God, when I read your word, it just hits me like a ton of bricks. God, when I read your word, it is filled with truth for my life. And God, when we read this little section where Solomon is screaming, it's better together. I see our people, I see our country, I see, I see our nation. I see a modern world that is so disconnected. Oh, connected digitally, but disconnected in soul. So God, would you move us? Would you give us courage? God, would you help us to take next steps? God, would you help us to lower our pride a little bit and be willing to be part of the church, to be willing to, you know, move forward with the direction we all want to head. So God, I pray for every man, every woman, every child, every couple, every single person. God, that you would somehow get them to connect into your body. This is your place, God. Help us to be connected together. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Amen.